Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Tonight we are going to talk a little bit about skinwalkers. And one good way to talk about skinwalkers, whatever they are, is to think about the ancient mystical creature called the werebear. Sometimes it works like this. You fight and kill the bear. You eat the bear meat and then you put on the bear skin. The power of the bear shirt Berserker in Old Norse gives you the strength and fury of the great animal. This is what berserk means, bear shirt. Do you actually turn into a bear-human hybrid? Maybe. Nobody liked to go to war against the berserkers. That much is known from the stories of the Roman Empire's long northern border conflict with the barbarians the foreigners the champion Norse warriors the ones who did not need chain mail they fought without armor they fought in a trance they pile off those sinister viking boats and slaughter everything in their path the human bear combination exists in North American and Siberian tribal religions too These stories go back to the bear sons, born to an animal godfather and human mother. When the mother dies, the bear sons leave the human tribe and return to the bear people. The Navajo skinwalker is said to be something of this sort, at least sometimes. At least in some of the stories, it's a witch, a dark wizard, and through this dark magic, the witch takes the form of a four-legged beast, and then the beast does bad things. In the first werewolf movie, a two-reel film released in 1913, was called The Werewolf, and it was allegedly a Navajo skinwalker story. Screenplay by Ruth Ann Baldwin, based on an 1898 horror story by Henry Bogrand. The movie has been lost to history. All that's left is a still photo showing a gang of friars shouting the devil out of a barefoot girl with long black hair. Behorn, the werebear friend of Gandalf and the Hobbit, is of this lineage too. The same basic mythology is in the tale of Callisto and Arcas, the bear mother and son of ancient Greece, of Arcadia. Much later, American forestry managers accurately predicted most people did not know that wildfires are generally caused by lightning. 
Perhaps Americans could be trained to be extra careful with matches and cigarettes and combustion engines while out of doors on public land covered in trees that could be sold to make Dixie cups and bounty paper towels. And so a thousand billboards were put up featuring a humanized bear wearing blue jeans, but only its bear fur as a shirt, its bear shirt, telling Americans a lie about fire. Only you can prevent your own campfire from turning into a dry woods inferno. But the overall situation is somewhat beyond your individual control. Is the werebear real? Of course it's real. The second you or I or somebody imagines something, it is real. This is how magic works. People wear costumes at Halloween because they get magic power from wearing costumes and then become these other identities, if only for the night. If the California grizzly had not been hunted to extinction a hundred years ago, you could go into the Sierra Nevada mountains or even the wetlands of Santa Monica and try to kill one of these majestic giants wear its skin and maybe become a werebear. But the would-be werebear would have a harder time of it today. The grizzlies are all dead throughout the continental United States except for a northern range between the Cascades and the Rockies. Lewis and Clark claimed there were once 50,000 grizzlies between Hudson Bay and the west coast. Los Osos on the central California coast is named for the great wetlands filled with happy bears before the Europeans killed every grizzly in California, every last one. It's still on the California flag, at least. The wolves have come back with great human effort involved, the reverse of the great human effort it took to push the American wolf to the edge of extinction. And now that they're back, they are doing all right here and there. But coyotes have not only survived all barbaric human attempts to eradicate them, coyotes have also thrived. The coyote might be more compelling than the wolf. And more realistic in an urban or suburban setting. In our wounded world... The dire wolf vanished thousands of years ago. The regular wolf was nearly hunted to extinction in the past century, and coyotes are everywhere. They're in Chicago. They're in Central Park. A werewolf has two things going against it. It's a lycanthropic monster, and it's also a rare wolf. A were-coyote could pass almost unnoticed on the streets of any American or Canadian town. Nobody would run out for silver bullets. It's just a coyote. You can get more cats at the shelter. Maybe where coyotes are wandering the dirt roads of Joshua Tree right now. Wandering the Presidio lawns in San Francisco. The 
best human night of your life would not be half as exciting as a few hours of hunting rabbits in Golden Gate Park with your coyote friends. The werebear has few constraints other than the already depleted wild habitat of large brown bears. A full moon means nothing to this creature, nothing but better visibility on the bear trail. Silver bullets are also meaningless. Religious symbols? The werebear honestly does not care. It's not against your religion, it's just not going to fall over dead because you have some holy water or a crucifix or a bracelet from the Kabbalah Center. The werebear's great weakness, like all bears, is its love of honey. A nickname for the bear in Old English was Bee Wolf because of its insatiable love of honey. So Beowulf means the same thing, bear. In Russian, as well as many Slavic tongues, the word for bear is honey eater or medvid. Bears also love fresh wild salmon, and that requires wild bear habitat. Free-flowing rivers, forests, oceans, clean water, no dams, no clear-cutting, no tar sands exploitation or outlet malls. Arctic werebears could use their rage against humanity, against the bad people who knew the North Pole would melt and decided they did not care. These people had accumulated enough billions of dollars like some brain-fogged dragon that they did not care what happened beyond the pile of money they nested upon. Imagine a dozen polar werebears bursting through the doors of ExxonMobil's stately headquarters, taking the executive elevator to the top and using their monstrous claws and teeth against the CEO and CTO and president of the board and... All the rest of them, that would put climate change in the news. Now there's outside counsel there working on site, and she sees it all. She actually buzzed the bears inside the executive suites. Her first name is Bernadetta, which means bear-like, and her law firm is very likely in cahoots with the lead werebear, Arctos. Visiting from the Arctic, the Great Polar Desert. The word Arctic means near the bear because the North Pole seems to be near the constellation Ursa Major, the Great Bear, and Ursa Minor, the Little Bear, with its North Star, Arthur, Orson, Ursula, Bjorn, Osborne. These names also mean bear. Whether you aim to be a were-bear or a were-coyote or simply the kind of person who does his or her best to maintain the wild habitat for these various animals and monsters, I hope it all works out. What I mean is I hope you don't find yourself stuck in a place like Skinwalker Ranch. There's something alive that's part of this place this haunted ranch really just a ranchette 480 acres but good pasture a creek through the property lots of mature trees mostly big cottonwoods there are a couple of homestead cabins on the property i guess you could call them fixer-uppers they're in real bad shape and they're also haunted like everything on this ranch 
In the middle 1990s, a family from New Mexico bought this small ranch up in northeastern Utah. Tucked between a lot of tribal land, rural land, they were in the business of breeding cattle. If you like that cold, intermountain west kind of desert, you'd like it up there, but it's kind of dreary, too. It's hard to explain. Well, the family fled the property after a couple of years. They kept seeing monster wolves roaming around, red-eyed beasts, shadowy human figures strange craft moving across the sky. The ranch was purchased by a Las Vegas billionaire who studies UFOs and the paranormal. On the line, the documentary filmmaker and friend of the Desert Oracle, Jeremy Corbell. Jeremy, welcome back to Desert Oracle Radio. Thanks, Ken. It's always an honor to be on. Excited to be with you. Now, you have a new movie out. In fact, we started this show, Desert Oracle Radio, one year ago, and you also had a new movie out. But this is a different one. This is Hunt for the Skinwalker. Wow, that's crazy. One year ago. Yes, this is a new film, Hunt for the Skinwalker. First time ever, people get to see footage from Skinwalker Ranch and both owners, previous and current, on camera interviewing for the first time billionaire Robert Bigelow is on camera talking about the ranch. This is a first. It's also a first. The new owner goes on camera and talks about the ranch. We've never had a single piece of video footage come off the ranch. And, and you have hours of it, just hours of it now. And this breaks some news, man. This really breaks some news. You know, we all learned about a year ago that the United States government was studying the UFO phenomenon through the New York Times. We learned that last year. $22 million was spent to investigate so-called flying saucers. But the real story is much bigger. There was not just one UFO study. There were two. And the Pentagon's other larger investigation delved into these mysteries that are far more disturbing than alien spacecraft. And, and they focus in those studies on the living laboratory that we call Skinwalker Ranch. So this film breaks that news, man. That hasn't even been reported by Fox News, uh, New York Times, anybody. This is actually through the Department of Defense as well. This is the mother program. It's, it was called AWSAP. And what they did was they funded the Defense Intelligence Agency program. So this second group that you're talking about? Yeah, well, actually, this it's, it's a larger, it's kind of like a mother program. It's the dirty little secret. The United States government was not just studying a reactionary program called ATIP, you know, government military interactions with UFOs. In fact, the, the host program, this one I'm talking about, OSAP, was studying what we would call the paranormal. And yes, they funded it through the Defense Intelligence Agency it's far beyond UFOs. There have been three major scientific studies at Skinwalker Ranch of what we would call the paranormal and UFOs. There have been three scientific studies. The first was the private industry study by Robert Bigelow called NIDS, National Institute for Discovery Science. After that, there was a study that was done by the Defense Intelligence Agency, funded through OSAP, Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Applications Program. So now there's a third study under new ownership, private industry of the ranch. At least I'm going to say it's private industry. There may be further interest. In watching Hunt for the Skinwalker, 
The viewer sees a lot of what looks like an earlier attempt at a TV documentary by George Knapp. Yeah, George Knapp is the OG godfather of breaking stories like UFOs and the paranormal. He's a mainstream news journalist at KLAS who broke the Area 51 and the Bob Lazar story. He's also credited with like maybe 28 Emmys, Peabody Awards, multiples. I mean, the guy's a seasoned veteran in journalism. And he has been studying and documenting as the only journalist ever allowed on the ranch to document the progression of the studies for decades. Active, ongoing investigations while the events were unfolding at this ranch in Utah that had captured the imagination and interest of our defense intelligence agency. Man, you want to film that. So that's what he was doing. He was collecting that footage, interviewing the scientists as events were unfolding. This can never happen again. It will never happen again. It can't. And that's what that footage is woven into the fabric of current day events in my film Hunt for the Skinwalker. But that footage could never come out. Now, in the wake of transition of ownership of the ranch, I was able to take that historic documentary vintage footage and integrate it into the new and current footage on the ranch that I have. Your movie documents this frustrating attempt over many years to try to nail down whatever's happening at this kind of haunted ranch. Those guys were out there for years and years and for whatever combination of reasons, they really don't have anything more than some stories. What you're bringing up is something that I'm going to disagree with, but everybody brings it up and I think it's important because that's the obvious like it appears that way because in one sense it's true. So you're saying there are scientists that were there for let's say the NIDS investigation for right. seven years. Okay, what did they leave with? Obviously science, as George says, science got its ass kicked, right? Obviously they didn't get what they were looking for and they were looking to either look for prosaic causes for what's been going on at this, you know, hell mouth, as you call it, of a ranch where you know, everything from paranormal to poltergeist to UFOs occurs. But what factually, tangibly did, did science, was it able to determine? And a lot of people say, well, there, there is an evidence. You know, they, they couldn't get any evidence. All they have is stories. I'm going to argue the absolute opposite. In fact, there is loads of evidence. First of all, do you figure that witness testimony from multiple witnesses that don't know each other from different angles of perception on one event is that evidence? And I would argue yes. It but is, but what's common is that groups of people can have these experiences and they're definitely real to the people who experience it, but there's nothing there that can be captured by a camera or when you do get something you get light blobs and and then you talk to the people and they're oh you know i saw a triangle ship and a being with red eyes and, right. and you know so they're real obviously they took place the events took place but there is an elusive nature and we all have to come to terms with the intelligence that is there is probably an intelligence and it is aware of our sophisticated electronic devices that sort of thing and if it doesn't want to expose itself it has been able to not expose itself. However, there is physical evidence. Would you call a mutilated corpse, if it was a human body, you'd consider that physical evidence? Well, we have that. We've documented that. There's ice circle carvings that we know were done with tools. There, There is footage of stuff like the Twin Towers apparitions. But here's the big question, and this is where we get to a point where I think we're going to agree. Evidence of what? 
There is evidence, tons of it in the film, but evidence of what? And that's what I don't know. Having been out there for that for that time, I'm talking about the original Bigelow team, the NIDS team. 143 incidents in a seven-year period, so not every night. You know, that leaves a, a bigger mystery. What was this thing that crawled out of an orange geometric inverted porthole witnessed by two physicists, you know, through night vision? What was that? But remember, there was a second study. So the next study that came in was the defense intelligence study where they allocated the money to Bass. That was the name of the group. What were they interested in? One of the things they were interested in is national security. How can you send craft through a porthole to a rip in, in, in space in the sky and, and put that onto a battleground? They were interested in that. If they're witnessing that at the ranch, they want to know how to do that or deploy soldiers. Weird stuff. In watching your movie and reading the book and following this for many years in the press, going back to that original Deseret News story in the 1990s, what occurs to me still is that Mrs. Sherman seems to be the key to the whole thing. Has she ever been brought back out there with these various uh, investigative teams? absolutely wants nothing to do with the ranch, the property, the story, anything. They would not go on camera. They would not be interviewed modern day for the film. There's no interest. Remember, if this is real, it's terrifying. And that's what the sense that I get from the family that you mentioned. Right. But for a long time, her husband, the rancher, he did work there with NIDS, both as kind of a caretaker and to try to point them in the direction where experiences had happened to his family, right? He wanted to get to the bottom of it. He had his cattle mutilated, his dogs murdered. He was being run off his property, he thought at first, by the United States government. He wanted to figure out who was flying these ships and doing these kinds of strange things. Yet, he wanted answers. He was bold, strong, smart, well-educated, and tried to help the NIDS team hunt or stalk whatever this phenomenon is. Again, they were not successful. Uh, you know, it followed them. There was a hitchhiker effect with the phenomenon itself, which I've heard over and over by, by DIA, by local authorities. It follows you. It followed him and his family through two states. It's, it's corrosive. It seems to attach to you and slowly buries itself within you. It's very strange. The encounters and the activity always went way up when she was there. Well, there are people that seem to antagonize the phenomenon, but let's let's go a little bit broader. We need to really look at it this way. Skinwalker Ranch was a living laboratory, is a living laboratory used to study a much larger global enduring historic phenomenon around since ancient times. So it is a great place to observe it. Is it only happening on the ranch? Is it in invoked most by the old you know, owner? No, not at all. The Uinta Basin is inundated with bizarre high strangeness. The phenomenon expresses itself, gives performances in fact, all throughout the Uinta Basin and probably all throughout the world, but we're seeing it in a heightened state there in the Uinta Basin. And that's what this movie really engages, is this story of how our government studied the paranormal. Tell me about the screening 
of Hunt for the Skinwalker. We had a private screening in Las Vegas with some, you know, really kind of interesting guests that came in and got to see the movie for themselves. People involved, in fact, with the story. Now, I heard that one of the people in the New York Times UFO study group story last year, Lou Elizondo, the head uh, or the former head of this Pentagon UFO study group, was that at your movie? I heard that as well. How do you like it? I can't comment on that any further. I shouldn't comment on that any further. But yeah, it was, it was look, really interesting people were, were in the crowd that night and people that were involved with this story on multiple levels. Was Robert Bigelow there? Again, you know, it was a private screening. So Hunt for the Skinwalker has been out on iTunes for the past week plus now. What does it do next? We were number one top documentary on iTunes, and then it was hovering between number one and four for days. We really hit a nerve, man. That's what it, I, that's kind of what I'm noticing. In Hunt for the Skinwalker, the book ends with a request for information on similar places around the world because it's not just something that happens on this 480-acre ranch. It's a phenomenon that shows up in different places around the world. Now, I know NIDS at one point was looking for other properties like this to study. Yes, there were other locations. You know, I say properties, I'm not sure. Locations, absolutely. Other locations identified both by the Defense Intelligence Agency as well as by private industry in these studies. Yeah, the book really opened the, the gates there. And there are other places like this, other pockets in the world where they say, you know, the veil is thin. to have something on tonight's program about the mysterious sudden closure of the National Solar Observatory in Sunspot, New Mexico. And it all got so dumb so quickly that once again an apparent mystery dissolves into an acid of ugly nonsense. Maybe something happened up there in the mountains. People are sure acting extra weird about it all. People including the FBI agents who were on site, the military pilots flying Black Hawk helicopters around the observatory and visitor center, the management of the observatory, the director of the observatory, everybody acting very weird in ways that make no sense at all. The sheriff agrees. The sheriff's department was shut out of the whole situation and now finally a patsy. A groundskeeper living in a trailer on site has his name dumped into the sewage pond of life-changing accusations, but with no charges, no arrest, what a garbage world we live in, the world of modern people. Lots of potential with our species, lots of potential and very little use of it. We should be as gods, and what do we spend our time doing? What do we spend our thoughts and energy upon most of the time, even people graced with the opportunity to do good and important work? Nonsense and garbage junk mail, the garbage cell phone that rings all day from faked phone numbers, scams and threats read by a computer. Scumbags and liars, every institution soiled and stinking, the widowhood of every government signs for all to see. 
There are indeed places and seasons when and where the veil is thin, the veil between worlds, between our flesh and blood and garbage world and that one we have either imagined into existing on the other side or that may truly exist independent of our longings, our dreams. But that veil becomes as solid as a concrete wall when we market it, when we try to prove it, when we claim to understand it. You have been listening to Desert Oracle Radio. Good night from the Voice of the Desert.